Good morning, Portview family. How are you? And God give you a beautiful morning out there. Amen? It is good to see you today. Good to see each other, isn't it? There's no place you'd rather be, is there, John? No place in the world. All right. I'm supposed to do announcements. I'm Pastor Mark, in case you didn't know that. I've got to remind myself to read what I'm supposed to say. Um, and glad to have you here if you're with, say visiting. If you're visiting with us for today, um, we're glad that you came, and I don't think you came here on accident. I think you're here today because God loves you, and He wants to show you that He's here and He cares for you, and even if you're just here for, for one Sunday with us, um, we just hope what you experience while you're here is the genuine sense of the presence of the Spirit of the Lord. Because that changes everything. When we go from God being a concept to God being a reality in our lives, our whole world's changed. So we hope, if you didn't know that before you walked in the door, maybe you did, but if you didn't, that being um, here, not because we're special, but because God is special, and we set everything aside, and we just say, God, we give this time to you. We want to experience your presence. So if you're visiting with us and you're welcome into that presence, we're really glad that you're here. And if you would like us to get to know you a little better, there's a couple ways you can do that. First of all, in the back of the chair in front of you is a QR code. You can click on that QR code with your phone, and that'll take us to, your, to our church center app, and you can see this, this section there for, for uh, guests, and you can fill out the information so we can get to know who you are, and we can then let you know things that are going on at church. If you say, I don't feel like using my phone, in the back of the seat in the chair in front of you in the little pocket, there's also a guest card. You can fill that thing out, and after the service, you can hand it to one of our ushers or take it back to our follow area, which is just out here, the little alcove on the side past the main doors, and uh, grab a gift for being with us and turn in the card, and, and uh, we can that way let you know what's going on at church. So we're glad that you're here. Today is a special day for us. Every year, we do a fundraiser for the Women's Care Center. Who knows who the Women's Care Center is? It is the most effective pregnancy services in the state of Wisconsin, and it helps moms who have unplanned pregnancies make decisions, and we hope make a decision, to choose life. And so every year, we partner with them, and we give it the baby bottles. We, we have them on a table outside here. When you leave today, grab a baby bottle. And for five weeks, what we do is I introduce a different child to you. And there's a child today, I think his, his name is right there. It's Andrew. Andrew, we have five, we'll introduce you to five children over the next five weeks. Andrew is a child that is alive today. These are all the kids in their brochures. Alive today because the, Andrew's mother chose to say, even though I didn't plan this pregnancy, I'm going to bring this child into the world. And you can give the Lord a hand for that because Andrew's awful happy about that. And the Women's Care Center doesn't only help them with those decisions, but the Women's Care Center, if you haven't been there, go visit. I tell you every year, go visit them if you haven't. Um, they then will train the moms and help the moms and the dads um, through the, the process of raising children. And they have classes they can go to and resources they can get. Matter of fact, because of our Kingdom Builders account, that you guys give to every single month. They made a request to us last week, and we, we didn't want, they said, hey, we are out of diapers. And we didn't want to uh, 
say, hey, let's do a diaper drive when we knew we were going to do our baby bottle drive. So because of the generosity of you, we wrote them a check for $500 to go buy more diapers because you guys give to Kingdom Builders all the time. But once a year, we do the baby bottle drive where we say, take a bottle home and fill it up. And when I say fill it up, I mean fill it up. You put in there like $1,000 bills and $10,000 checks. And I always joke, I say, put bearer bonds in there. I don't even know bearer bonds are real if that's just for movies. But um, bearer bonds, um, all that stuff. You fill this thing up, and then in about five weeks, we bring them back, and we pray over the bottles, and we take all the money, and we give it to Women's Care Center. And they can't believe how generous you are. And one thing that's interesting, um, because we are very you know, ecumenical, um, they are a, they're a Catholic-led organization, and we're the only non-Catholic church that gives to their ministry. And they're so shocked by us, they, all, they, they, they fight over who gets to come to our service. Can we bring one of them in a year, the last Sunday? And uh, they, they all want to come because they're like, their sermons make sense, you know? And they say stuff like, I, I get it, and, and your people sing these songs, and they're happy, and, and so there's this, they love our service, but they can't figure us out. They're like, but you're not a priest, and you have a wife, and you have children, you know? And... Uh, and we, we, they, they, they just love Portview Church, and they're just overwhelmed by how kind and generous you guys are as a church family. So we get to be hook up with one of them. We'll be coming in. I don't know which one for sure. We'll be coming in in five weeks to join us, and we get to, to thank them for what they do and give them our, the, the money we raise. But, so this is coming up, or this is starting today. So today, grab a bottle, fill that thing up, and then we're going to see what God can do through our church family to help kids like Andrew. Um, so that they have life. Amen? Amen. So that's awesome. Awesome. Um, kids, our kids, first through fifth. I am tongue-tied today. I'm in trouble. First through fifth, you can stand up. Make your way out with Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul's actually going to be in kids' church with you today. So head on out there, first through fifth grade. Make your way out and have a great time having a service designed just for you. I'd like to invite our ushers to come this morning. We get to receive our tithes and kingdom builders' offerings get to uh, celebrate God's goodness and worship Him. We don't only worship Him with our mouths, we worship Him with our lives. And one of the ways we worship God, Scripture shows, is we give back to Him from what He's given to us. God doesn't need what you have. You understand this? Worshiping God what you're giving, God does not need anything. I was reading the Psalms yesterday, and it says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. He couldn't care less about your money. You know what He cares about? your heart. And scripture says one of the, one of the only thing that can act like a God in our lives other than God is the worship of money. Because it kind of gives us things that God can give us. A sense of security, um, uh, doing things that we want to do. So money like provides this stuff. And we go, if I have this, then I, I'm all right. Well, God wants us to understand that he's the only thing to trust in. So he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you to see if God's in first place. And he said, so give me, some, give me some of what you have. And so we give our tithes and we give offerings above our tithes. And it's a way of worshiping God, saying you're really first place in my life. So we just look at giving as a wonderful joy in our church to say, God, you're number one. Amen? So, Father, thank you for your kindness and your generosity. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful sunrise this morning and that we could come together and worship you in a beautiful place, in air conditioning. And we, um, 
get to celebrate you and worship you and be together. And now, Lord, uh, we get to spend time um, looking into your word together and learning and growing and being challenged. Um, and you do that all because you love us. So, Lord, as a response to your goodness now, we worship you through our giving in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me make you aware of one more thing as that offering is being collected. Uh, actually, two more things. Wednesday night, we have a new offering on Wednesday night, a, a change in, in some of our schedules. The summers, you know, we, we don't have our adult classes, so we have prayer in here, and then we have our community youth ministry. CSM still meets. And CSM is starting something this Wednesday open to all of you. Starting at 4 o'clock, they're going to be here for CSM. It's going to be open. And you can come and hang out, play games, do different things, and food will be available. And it's going to be for a very slight cost, but they're going to have food available because what we're finding with some people is they're saying, hey, I come out of work, I can't get here in time, and I have to stop somewhere first, so we're going to make a very inexpensive meal available to you. If you want to come early, as early as 4 o'clock, hang out, spend time with each other, eat a, eat a meal, cheap meal, and then be part of CSM or prayer. Um, and then once in a while we have the, the summer nights where we like had last Wednesday, which was great, hanging out by the bonfire. So that's a new thing starting this coming Wednesday, so you want to be aware of that. And one other thing, who can make some noise? Let me hear you make some noise. Okay, you can do it. Our softball team has been doing great. And they need some cheerleaders because Monday night, tomorrow night, our men's softball, it's called the matchup week, which is going into the playoffs, and they have a double header, 7.15 and 8.30 at Centennial Park in Grafton, and they want us to come cheer them on. So if your schedule allows it Monday night, head to Grafton and go cheer on our team. But you can do that, right? You make noise again? You can do that. So our, our softball players are asking you, come help us win so they can go deep into the playoffs, right? Right? Amen. You ready? You done with the advertisements for now? Good. I am too. Um, so today we're going to continue on with our um, looking into, our series looking into the, the patriarchs, kind of looking at almost all the heavy hitters of the book of Genesis which means the four men that we think of as the founding fathers of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we're looking at them, um, and really what we're trying to focus on in their lives is we're pulling out some of the things we see as these, these rather ordinary men with, walk with an extraordinary God, and God does amazing things through them, and a lot of times brings them through some really hard things. And we're saying, like, we can look at their lives and learn how if we walk with God as ordinary people, remember we said most of us are just pretty ordinary, ordinary people, we can walk with God through our lives and God can do amazing things through us if we'll walk with God. So we're trying to learn from their life stories as we're going through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We're learning how to things like walk by faith. We're learning about what, that God actually will test us and why he would do that, the good he brings out of testing. We look at what it looks like to walk through difficulty and challenges. Look at all these different things from the lives of the patriarchs. And today we're going to get into a topic that, as we look at Abraham, still we're on Abraham, our last week on Abraham, um, a topic that has caused a lot of confusion for a lot of people for a long time. How do you like that? A lot of confusion for a lot of people for a long time. 
And I hope what can happen today is I can bring some clarity to you to this topic. And the reason that we chose to do this topic, looking at Abraham, it's a topic that's in the church world kind of on the rise. This is something, a topic I'm not going to share it. We're going to discover it in a minute um, if we look in the text. But the topic that years ago was a lot of debating about it. And then it kind of went away for a while, and all of a sudden now it's kind of rising up again as a topic that people are talking about, and it brings confusion. And here's the deal. Um, God doesn't want us to be confused. I'll tell you this. He doesn't always help us have complete clarity, and that's okay. But we want to look at a topic that's that's kind of rising today in the church, a theological topic that affects our day-to-day lives, Um, and so that we don't walk in confusion. We walk as clear as we can in these different topics. And so let's discover the topic together by looking at another story from the life of Abraham. So grab your Bible, open up to the very first book, the book of Genesis, or turn on your phone, or your... Do anybody even care tablets anymore? I, I know I'm, I get laughed at in the office. I'm the only one. I never use my computer. They laugh at me. They said, your computer is not even a computer. It's like a boat anchor. Um, but I use my phone and my tablet. And so am I, I'm a dinosaur, right? Yeah. Don't laugh at me, Christine, right? <laughs> Genesis 24, I gave you time to find, get yourself powered up here. Starting in verse 1. It says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. And this is the practice they had of how they would swear an oath. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live. But you will go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Suppose the woman is not willing to follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land from which you came? Then Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. For what we don't know, what it doesn't say here is God had spoke to Abraham to not take his son back there. So we're going to stop right there. Oh, let me read just verse 7. Verse 7, and the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who swore to me, and who swore to me, saying, to your descendants I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. We'll stop reading there, but let me tell you in just a moment, a couple moments, the rest of the story, because it would take a long time to read. So the rest of the story, the story goes on to say that then Abraham's servant took 10 camels and loaded them with gifts, and he headed to Mesopotamia, um, Abraham's homeland, to look for a wife for Isaac. And when he arrived in Mesopotamia, he stopped at a well in the evening because his camels needed to be watered. And when he was there, he prayed a prayer to the Lord. And he said, Lord, um, if a woman will come out to the well, and I say to her, um, can I have a drink of water? And she doesn't just say, here's a drink of water, but says, I'll also water all of your camels. Then I will believe that that's the woman that I'm supposed to pursue as the wife for Isaac. And so he's at the well, and he's praying, and all of a sudden a lady walks up, and we find out later her name is Rebecca. And he says to Rebecca, hey, can I have a drink? And she says, not only can you have a drink, would you like me to water all your camels also? So in his mind, he goes, oh, 
This is exactly what I prayed. So Abraham asked her, or the servant, Abraham's servant asked her and says, um, who are you and where are you from? And he discovers that she is one of the relatives of Abraham. So he says, hey, here's who I am. Can I come to your house? So he goes to her home and he meets her family. And at the home, at her father's house, he tells the, the family about being sent by their relative Abraham to find a wife for Isaac, and about his prayer, saying, would the woman that I meet answer in this particular way? And he tells about Rebecca's response. And the family sees that clearly God is in this whole picture and agrees to let their daughter go with a total stranger to another country to marry Isaac. Now, that's quite the story. If somebody came to you and said, can I marry one of your daughters? You'd probably say no. But they saw God was in the story. Now, in this story, we can clearly see that the hand of God is at work, right? He works through willing people. Often it just spells out prayerful people to get his desired outcome, right? So he works through Abraham. He spoke to Abraham and said, do not let my son go back there. Instead, go get a wife for him from your, from your homeland. So Abraham obeys God's word and says that Isaac must stay in the promised land and can't go back to Mesopotamia, and he sends a servant instead. The servant is walking in step with God. He's praying for the Lord to give him an answer. He's made a specific prayer, and it specifically is answered the way that he prays it, so he believes God's in it. Rebecca and her family see God at work in a situation, and they become willing participants. Um, so they believe so much God is in the story that they let their daughter go with a stranger to a distant land to become this relative's wife. What we see is we see people are being directed by God to fulfill the plan of God, correct? That's what we see? Seem pretty clear? Now, this brings us to a big question, and it's a topic that we're going to delve into this morning. One that I said earlier has caused people a whole lot of problems for, for ever since Christianity began, and even probably in Judaism predates that, and it's this. Do people have a free will to do what they want to do, or are people simply robots living out a predetermined plan that's been, that's been written by God? The question is, did Rebecca really have a choice? Did Rebecca really have a choice in this whole situation? It seems like God is simply working out his plan. God says, this is what's going to happen. None of the people know what's going to happen. They all engage with the plan. They walk through the events, and it turns out exactly the way clearly God wanted it to work out. Did Rebecca really have a choice? Friends, that's a, a topic that this story stirs up. Do you and I really have a free will? Do we really have a choice? Has God really just predestined all this stuff to happen in our lives? And we're just, although we don't know, we're just living it out, and we're living out the pre-written plan of God. Now, some people, a lot of people say, we don't have a choice. They say, we don't. A lot of people say, we do have a choice. So this is a, this is a, if you really look at Scripture, this is a difficult topic. And one that I would say we surely aren't going to totally figure out today. Um, in fact, I believe in some ways um, fully meshing it all together is kind of beyond our human comprehension. So that's why it can be controversial. 
Because we know this, Bible says God's ways are above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. And I'm okay with that, saying God understands things in ways that I don't. Yet, this is something that I think we can wrestle with today and as we mature in Christ. And I believe we can get some clarity on it so it's not a confusing topic. So for today, as we look at this topic, let's narrow down our focus on just the topic of you or I or anybody else coming to faith in Christ. Just about salvation. Just about a person becoming a follower of Jesus. Do they have a choice in that matter or do they not have a choice in that matter? What we're going to discover is that this concept applies not only to that topic, but it applies to all situations of our lives. But for today, just so we can get it done in one Sunday, let's just look at this as it pertains to a person being a follower of Jesus. Do you, do I, do we, or do we not have a choice regarding following Jesus? Are some people simply selected while others are rejected? And many people believe this. There's a whole branch of Christianity, it's called Calvinism, um, that believes you don't have a choice. You're just selected or not selected, and they say God has a right to do whatever God wants to do. And that's the rising thing. Matter of fact, a lot of the church planting in America being done today is being done, they call them young Calvinists. This is what they're kind of a whole new movement, young Calvinists. And they're saying, in that, in that sect of Christianity, thinking of Christianity, they're saying, you don't have a choice. God just plans it the way he does. So are some people simply selected while others are rejected? Or is a call sent out by God to all people, and anyone can come to God through Jesus Christ. And here's the deal. A lot of people believe that, that anybody can choose. Do we have a free will or not? Well, let's begin to understand this by turning in our Bibles again to the book of Ephesians. So go all the way to the New Testament. Go to Ephesians, one of the Apostle Paul's letters. Ephesians, we're going to go to chapter 1 of Ephesians. You there? Good things to underline in this one to understand this topic. It's an important topic. So let me explain what's going on in chapter 1 of Ephesians before we look at anything. First of all, in chapter 1, in verse 3, the Apostle Paul gives a general statement about God's spiritual blessings. Look at verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he's saying there's, there's these blessings, spiritual blessings, that are for us when we're in Christ. Then what the Apostle Paul goes on doing is in verses 4 through 14, he gives specific examples of some of the blessings that God has for people who follow Christ. So for example, verse 7, look at verse 7. In him, so in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So what does he talk about the blessing that we have? We have redemption. We're purchased by his blood. We become, he buys us and we're forgiven of all of our sins in Christ by his grace. So he's saying this is one of the blessings of God. Now slip up to verses 4 and 5. He talks about another blessing here. Verses 4 and 5 says this. Just as he chose us in him, so in Christ, as God chose us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. 
So in verse 4, Paul writes in verses 4 and 5, he writes about one of the greatest of all spiritual blessings that there is, and the term we'll use for it is this, election. Election referring to God's choice of a person to believe in Christ as Savior and follow him as Savior and Lord. Look what it says here. It says, Choose, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, some of you feel really old, but none of you are that old. It says, he chose us in him before the world was created. How wonderful. What a, an amazing blessing. God chooses people on purpose before they ever are born. Verses like Ephesians 1 here tell us that people have been elected or chosen by God to be his own. This is scripture. It can't be passed over. It can't be explained away. God chooses people to be in his family. It's his plan. In the gospel of John, Jesus explains it like this. He says, no one can come to me to Jesus unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's in John 6, 44. So scripture makes it clear that God's hand is involved in choosing or electing people to be saved and that God draws people and chooses them to be his followers. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, rejoice in the fact that God chose you on purpose. Amen? Now, does it stop there? Say this with me. Say no. No. No, it doesn't stop there. Because Scripture also plainly teaches, some of you are getting so nervous, I could feel your nervous energy in there, going, what is he going to say? (laughs) Pastor Mark, what are you saying? Because Scripture also teaches, plainly, that people have a very real part to play in their own salvation. Not by earning it, we can't earn it. Not by um, deserving it, we don't deserve it. Not by achieving it, we can't achieve it. But by receiving it, by accepting it. The one of those famous verses in all the Bible, Suzanne actually quoted it today, John 3.16, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that what? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have, have eternal life. Whosoever believes in him. We see here that man's response to God's gift of Jesus is needed for salvation. God gave Jesus as a Savior, and it says man believes or trusts in or follows. All different ways of explaining what it means to believe in. He trusts in. He follows after. So let's see this a bit more in a bit more detail from another letter that Paul wrote. So in your Bible, start just a few chapters over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 13. You there? Romans chapter 10, verse, verse 9, says this. Apostle Paul says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him, who call on him, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Look at that, verse 9. It says, confess and believe are part of the process. You must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And it says then, verse 13, whoever, in other words, anyone, who then calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
and likewise those who don't, won't. There is a broad call to all people, it says everyone who calls in the name of the Lord. Now here's where people have a problem. Does scripture teach that God elects, chooses people to be saved? Yes. Does does scripture teach that man has a free will in choosing to accept or reject God's gift of salvation, whether to call on his name or to reject his name? Yes. So how do we put these two ideas together? It's all about perspective. God's perspective versus man's perspective. And I want to show you how it works. I have a coin. So don't you look. Can you tell me what's on that coin? Can you see it? You can't see, you don't have glasses. I didn't think about that. Can you see what's on that coin? What is it? It's a duck. It's actually a loon. It's a loon in an outdoor scene. Um, who does, can you see what's on that coin? What is it? It's a president. It's, it's, it's George Washington. Well, wait a minute here. Can you tell me what's on that coin? A forest and a, and a, and a loon. What's on that coin? George Washington. Now, wait a minute. These two are pretty intelligent, right? And you can obviously see. You can't see, but, but you guys can actually see. And you look at it and you tell me it's a duck, a loon. And you look at it and tell me it's George Washington. Now, I don't think, people might think George Washington looks like certain things, but no one thinks George Washington looks like a duck, right? So the question is, who's right? Who's right? Was it a duck? A loon? Or is it George Washington? Yes. It's a loon and it's George Washington. Friends, this is a lot like what we are seeing in Scripture here about this topic. Two different perspectives looking at the same thing. Looking at opposite sides. God's perspective. God knows everything. We can't, this is why I say this becomes a mystery. We can't in any way as his created beings understand the magnitude of what God is like. If you can imagine it and multiply what you imagine by a billion, you're still not anywhere near what God is like. Because God is limitless. We don't understand this. So God, he knows everything. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what will happen with every person on earth. Here's the deal. God's not limited by time. He's not linear. Meaning this happens and that happens. For God, everything he sees as one. That's how the picture we get from Scripture. God is limitless. He's not linear. And his eternal perspective gives him the foreknowledge to see what outcomes will be. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. He knows the outcomes of our decisions even before we make them. He knows the outcome of my decisions even from before the foundation of the world. He knows what I'm going to do and what you're going to know you're going to do. He knows if I will reject him, he knows if you will accept him. That's God's perspective. It's a duck. Look at the same coin. It's man's perspective. We are finite. We are limited by time. We see things linearly. We see event, 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 result, 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 result. We see life as it unfolds before us. We don't know how things will work out before they do. 
we don't know who will win the next Brewer game, but God does. We don't know. But God, in his foreknowledge, knows who will win the next Brewer game. So when we hear the call to follow God, man's perspective, we have a choice to make. God has called us. We have a choice, though. It's his free will. It's, our, it's, his, it's his will for us to follow him. And he knows what we'll do even before we do it. But friends, here is the important thing to understand about God's limitless and his foreknowledge. His foreknowledge of our decision does not mean that he caused our decision. Him knowing what we're going to do before we do it does not mean that he caused us to do it. And see, this is where people get stuck. They think because God foreknows what we will do, therefore he caused it to happen. No. His fore, this is a theological term, his foreknowledge is not causative. That's the way theologians would say it. His foreknowledge is not causative. Yes, he knows the outcome, but he is not forcing us to do the outcome. He simply just knows what we'll do before we do it because he sees the end from the beginning. It's like the two-sided coin. Both can be true at the, at the same time. You know, it's not that Christine is just blind and thinks that a duck looks like George Washington. She saw George Washington, and it's true. And you saw a loon because it's your perspective on the matter. It's like a two-sided coin. Both can be true at the same time. Look from one perspective, see one thing. Look from the other perspective, see the other thing. You see, I fully believe that I would never have become a follower of Jesus if God had not elected me, if God had not chosen me on purpose and drawn me to follow Jesus. He did it, and I can't explain why I felt a drawing to follow him when all kinds of other people I know, it seems like, didn't feel the same drawing. I don't know how that is. It seems so incredibly simple to me. He's God. He made the world. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. He made a way for salvation. Jesus, follow him. Come to Jesus. He's the only, only rescue plan because we only live so many years and we die and we have eternity. It seems so simple to me. When God drew me, it's just like, well, of course I'm going to follow him. Only a fool wouldn't. That's the way it felt to me. I can't explain why somebody else felt different. I can't. But I know that God draw, drew me. And I also believe, based on Scripture that I was saved when I bowed to that drawing and I asked God to forgive my sins through Jesus' shed blood and I said, no longer am I God, but now you are God and I will follow your way instead of my way. I believe I was saved when I responded to it. I believe I needed to respond. And scripture bears out, I needed to respond. And I believe this, I could have rejected his gift of salvation. I believe scripture shows that. I could have rejected it. And I believe, based on Scripture, that anyone else who calls out to Jesus, who says, yes, I need to ask Christ in my life, is doing that because God has been calling them. God is calling them. God has elected them in order for them to be saved. It's a two-sided coin. That's how it can be both. Does God know? Yes. Do I not know? Do I have to choose? Yes. Does God know what to do? Yes. 
But is this foreknowledge causative? No. So do I have a free will in the matter? Yes. Because from my perspective, and here's the deal, friends, you're not God. I know it's a shock, maybe. <laughs> None of us is God. Therefore, we don't get to see it from God's perspective. We can get a little glimpse into it from Scripture, but we're not God, and we don't see it from God's perspective. We are limited by our perspective. And our perspective says, I need to make a choice. God knows what I'm going to do. He knows what you're going to do. He knows what you have done. He knows, what, he knows who's going to win the Brewer game. He knows if our softball team is going to win and how deep they're going to go into the playoffs. But we don't. So we have to go cheer. Right? We've got to show up and play. Because we don't know. It's a two-sided coin. Did your worship team come up this morning? Let's wrap up. Does God have a plan that he is working out in the whole world where some people become his followers and accomplish his plan? Yes. God is working out his plan. Do people have a choice as to whether or not they will participate in God's plan? We can say no to God. We can reject his salvation. We can live on our own way. Yes. But here's the question. Why would anybody want to reject God's way? Why would anybody want to reject God's best? Since God is all-knowing and perfect in love and wisdom, why would we want to reject his best for us? I don't know. He'll give you a choice. Maybe you're here today, and maybe for years, or maybe just for today, you felt God's tug on your heart to follow him. I will tell you if you feel that tug, that is the Spirit of God. If you feel that tug. Because God has chosen. And he, we feel it when he chooses us. And my question for all of us today is, if you feel that tug and you've never before, before today said yes to it, or you maybe said yes to it and you reject it and you walked away for a long time and now you're saying, I feel that tug. My question is, what are you going to do about it? Our side of the coin, we have to accept or reject. We have to say yes or say no. My question is, are you ready to say yes to Jesus today? Would you pray with me? Maybe you're sitting here at Portview today. Maybe you've been here for years and years and years or just one day. And you know in the depths of your heart right now there is a drawing on you. There's a tugging at your heart saying Jesus wants you. Meaning you know you're distant from him. You know your life is it's kind of rambling and spinning matter if you have all the world's success or not, you know in the depths of your soul whether you really have said yes to Jesus. And you know in the depths of your soul if you said yes to Jesus, really. Meaning you said, yeah, I'm all in. Instead of, I'm just dipping my toe in. Well, today if you're hearing the call of Jesus or something going on inside your soul, God's wanting you to say yes inviting you to say jump all in because living with that toe just dipping in the water or just having rejected it will only lead to frustration and, and destruction emptiness the 
Jesus promises us when we walk with him, he'll give us life abundantly. He doesn't say he'll take away the problems. What he says is, I'll give you an abundant life, that you'll walk through life with an abundance of joy and confidence in him and a, and a peace and an assurance that you are his own and he's holding you now and he's going to hold you through all of eternity. And he says, I'm calling you and you have a choice. And today, you say, I want to say yes to that choice. You can simply, where you're sitting in your seat, of you. You know how you, how you can talk. God's calling you and you can say, Dear Jesus, I say yes to your calling. I want to become your follower. I need, as we read from Ephesians, my sins forgiven. sun goes down tonight, before your head hits the pillow, tell somebody that's a follower of Jesus that you said yes to Jesus because they're going to then help you in your walk with Jesus. You don't know who to call? Tell me. The church as the worship team in a moment is going to sing our closing song. Let's ask ourselves another question. Maybe you have said yes to Jesus a long time ago. Maybe, maybe or maybe not, you have a sense that you're drifting. God's still calling us to walk with him. Today can be a great day of a great course correction. You can say, you know what, I really want to come in line following Jesus with all my heart. To realign with his ways. As the worship team begins to sing this song, just allow the Spirit of the Lord to speak to you. That's what he is. That's his voice, that, that, that calling voice. Let him speak to you. While they're singing, if you'd like prayer, our prayer team and myself will be up here to pray with you. But just worship the Lord. Allow the Lord to speak to us, and we're done with the song.